Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Feeling is Musical, as presented by the Snohomish County Music Project. My name is Erica Lee, and today we are talking about trauma-informed music therapy with board-certified music therapist Colby Cummin. Colby works primarily with elementary children experiencing trauma. With over two years of experience, his clinical practice includes over 500 kids, ranging from infancy through middle school in both group and individual settings at eight different schools. He uses a social justice orientation and a trauma-informed lens while working with clients from a range of different backgrounds and abilities, always focusing on client strengths and providing them with as much power and agency as possible in therapeutic settings. Also, listeners, please note that this episode includes brief mention of suicide, military combat, abandonment, and sexual abuse. Please protect your mental health and listen with caution. Thank you, Colby, for joining us. Hi, my pleasure. Is this your first podcast? It is. Oh, welcome to podcasting. Thanks. So, you do a lot of trauma-informed work. Uh-huh, yes, yes. I do that. Can you give us a brief um, orientation to like what the phrase trauma-informed care, trauma-informed approach means? Yeah, I think the like trauma-informed phrase has become like, a pretty like hot catchphrase to kind of throw onto certain things. At its core, it means like taking into account the effects trauma can have on individuals and then working around that when you are treating or working with them in any sort of capacity. Mm-hmm. And then especially, you know, in the therapeutic lens, it's important that we take those considerations into effect and how they would kind of show up and maybe disrupt elements of care that we're used to seeing. Okay. And so then how do you define trauma or how do you characterize trauma? What are the characteristics that you're like, oh, that person is experiencing or has experienced trauma? Yeah, it can be really difficult because it's so subjective. It Mm -hmm. really comes down to like how the person perceives it. Mm. So it's different for every person. Is it that the client then is vocalizing to you, I have experienced trauma and you're just taking it? on face value or are there additional questions that you're asking? Well, a lot of times um, folks might not even be aware mm. that a trauma traumatic event has happened or True. that they True. are experiencing trauma. Um, it can be like small things that build up over time. Um, I think the fancy term for that is like micro traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, as things build, just being in high stress situations consistently um, will raise like your cortisol, your stress hormone levels. And to a certain point when those are staying in there is when we see some of those effects of trauma. They can also be like more acute things like being in a car accident or coming back from war or all sorts of different things that can uh, end up affecting a person. So I think like the general definition for trauma would be just like a past event or a series of past events that build up to disrupt current Uh, functioning in everyday life absolutely trauma can look like so many different things so there are micro ways of looking at trauma and there are more acute traumatic Mm -hmm. experiences what are you doing as a therapist what are you recognizing in the therapeutic relationship to say like oh i think this person has a trauma history Mm -hmm. or is experiencing a trauma what is happening biologically that 
gives you more information? And then how are you working with that information? Those are a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. So let's start with maybe like biologically, like what's happening during trauma. Yeah. So I mentioned like stress hormones, cortisol. Um, Essentially, whenever people in acute or like micro situations end up in sort of a place where they might feel the need to run for the lives or fight for the lives. There's also freeze, um, which happens when there's a situation happening and we don't think we can get out of it. You're, you know, trapped in a burning building or in a war zone, uh, like under fire from enemies, and you're kind of stuck not being able to move. And in those fight and flight situations, our body's like shooting out adrenaline and other hormones and things like that that will help us like run do things but they're actually kind of toxic to the body when they're not being used so as we sit there and we freeze our bodies go okay well i can't do either of these two options i'm going to die the least i can do is make dying not painful and so that's where like this association can happen where people will describe previous traumatic events as like they floated out of their body and like saw someone else experiencing it and being so thankful that it wasn't actually them um but then when you actually survive and live past that that creates like this kind of disjunction or like the uh, a break in possibly like psyche or just like activities behaviors break in memory um and with those stress hormones not knowing that it's okay to like come back down that level of toxicity can affect our like immune systems um as well as continuing to interrupt with like the way our brains function and sometimes even the way they're shaped trauma can actually like reshape your brain in certain Mm, ways really yeah um which also like treating that can also help kind of reshape things um the the fun word for that is neuroplasticity our brains are always malleable even if we're not kids growing up anymore we can still find ways to like change the brain and to alter pathways so that we know how to um, understand when things are actually safe because mm. we're in the present, no longer in that past circumstance or circumstances. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure we'll talk about neuroplastic. Neuroplastic. I can't say the word. <laughs> that word. We'll talk <laughs> about word. that more mm-hmm. when we, next week. Uh, you're going to come back and we're going to talk about music in the brain. So I'm sure we'll yeah. talk about that more later. So given all of these things that's happening in the body with trauma. Mm-hmm. People don't know that they've had a traumatic experience or maybe don't mm-hmm. identify it as a traumatic experience. Yeah. How does that inform your clinical practice? What are some things you maybe do differently compared to like a quote unquote non-trauma informed yeah. approach? Truthfully, I've never practiced non-trauma informed, so it'd be tough to compare, but the things I do that really make sure to take into account the possible effects of trauma is like first and foremost is trying to come from a place of like understanding instead of judgment Mm. it's much less about oh i see these problems like oh they're really angry and they burst out or they become violent like those are ways that probably would help them survive given the situations they've been in the past and are no longer helpful And so as opposed to being like, oh, we need to shut those things down, it's important to understand, uh, like, what is happening with all of that. Mm. I think that's number one is coming from a place of understanding and not judging. What is that not judging and understanding? What does that practically look like 
in a session? Does that, I think obviously, at least to me, it would change your in the moment response to what a child is telling you. What does that response look like or how, do you understand Mm -hmm. what I'm asking? I think so. It's, if a kid doesn't like stop singing or stop playing an instrument exactly when I tell them to, that doesn't get them like in trouble. There's no doing bad in Mm. therapy um with me sometimes you dress like oh how they do i'm like great they (laughs) were there the whole time um it can look like it can look like kids needing to leave um not feeling taking a lot longer to build that like therapeutic trust and bond that's so vital to therapy relationships that can take a lot longer and that means sometimes therapy initially starts out as like just listening to their favorite songs and like having coloring papers. And even if they don't color, if they're there, there's that base level of forming trust and safety that can be really difficult, um, especially with younger kids who experience things like neglect or abandonment or abuse or sexual abuse, where the people they're supposed to trust can't actually be trusted. And it leads to this like super confusing roles for them of like, mm. Do I give up my caretaker by like admitting all these feelings of like anger and frustration towards them? Or do I like separate that and then release it in other places? And then if they get out of that situation, like who 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 is an adult I can trust? Because the adults I was supposed to trust in the past proved to be really harmful. Um, and so I guess that's circle back around to the actual question. That is one way in which um, that trauma-informed lens comes into play is that therapy with those kids, with all all my folks, is not really based around, like, meeting a specific objective mm. or, like, doing the thing that the song tells people to do. It's more about are they participating and finding their own way to be in the space? And if they can't be in the space, there might be something on my end that's, like, I'm doing something that's triggering to them or doing something that is just not engaging to them or make them feel safe and aren't able to engage in the same way. That all makes a lot of sense in terms of like your practical Mm -hmm. response with the children in a session. And I really like what you had said about if someone asks you like, how is the child doing? How was the session? That like your level for what is success is accepting and embracing like where that child really is that they can't you're not expecting them to meet like unrealistic expectations your expectation is that they're a child yeah or even like beyond that they're they're a person and people have different levels of different days like yeah one day they might be doing you know seemingly really well as like to what we're expecting like oh yeah they're paying attention in class they're not getting into fights yada 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 and then you know, the next day or next week, they might be uh, returning to some of those behaviors or some of those just places that where they may have found new ways to uh, present things. And, um, you know, it's just it's a long cycle and journey. Sure. So how does your trauma-informed approach transfer then also to um, the more administrative side of your job? Mm-hmm. You have to do assessments. You take data yeah. when you talk to school administrators, educators. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for yeah. you? So it, it ends up being like not this, like, I guess, kind of altering certain assessments that are standardized or creating our own for different 
kids or groups, like there are certain like bylines and I used personally the individual music therapy assessment protocol, the MTAP for some of my kids, uh, for just some of the bylines in there that ask, you know, did they meet the goals for the session? I just end up not rating anything on that because unless we have both said, okay, here are the goals we want to work on. How are we going to try and meet them? And the kid is also aware of this whole process that's going on, then it feels almost unfair to be like, oh, well, today they couldn't, you know, do this thing. And so it's just like an odd thing to judge a person on. Absolutely. And then and then reporting on that too is, you know, trying to make sure you find ways that still present as numbers, but also providing like a narrative um, written part that can help kind of explain what the numbers are showing. Mm. Um, so if I'm doing like reports for grants or school admin, I'll have the like percentages and numbers up planned presented on the graph. Then also like have a paragraph or a couple sentences explaining, okay, this trend is showing possibly because of these things. Maybe there were transitions in the classroom, new kids came in, transition could be really difficult for anyone, but especially with folks who have a hard time adapting because of trauma. Um, and then that could explain like why there was a drop or if there can be like a large increase because they started receiving services of any kind or there is like at home they ended up being able to be in like one home for the entire school year and that could be a big reason why we see so much growth Mm. so there's like there's so much more than just like the numbers will give you um at the same time though there is a bit of like a numbers game in regards to funding and maintaining services because that is kind of like the world we live in is that everyone wants to see the hard numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Showing progress and showing like, this works. And, yes. Yeah. 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 So if you live in an area where there's this music therapy nonprofit, <laughs> donate to that nonprofit because then we can do trauma informed work and not have to rely so much on quantitative data. Side note, Side just note. FYI. Yeah, just, um, <laughs> because you work in schools, uh, just a little bit, extra background on me is that I come from a family of educators. Yeah. So I grew up hearing about the ACES study. Do you want to touch on the ACES study? Does that inform your work? Yeah, absolutely. How does that impact what's happening? Um, yeah, ACES was like, I think back in the 90s, a pretty big breakthrough uh, study done. The ACES stands the all A, C, and E, our capital, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And the study... Um, was done with Kaiser, I think, as a, as a partner. And they looked at medical records and um, of a whole bunch of different clientele. Um, and they gave them like a little questionnaire sheet to fill out. Basically, it was like in the past, like when you were below 18 years old, did any of these things happen? And they talk about, you know, witnessing abuse, being sexually assaulted or abused, um, having family members in prison, going through a divorce, all these other just pretty um, broad possible identifiers of trauma and they found correlations between folks that scored higher they had more adverse childhood experiences and all sorts of physical health problems like um, lower immune systems increases in chances of like depression and risk of suicide increases in like liver and heart problems too so like the long-lasting effects is like those toxic chemicals stay in your body and affect more than just the psyche they can spill out into every facet of your being. Um, and so that was a really good thing to kind of kickstart this whole trauma-informed movement. Um, and 
of course, today it, it kind of echoes out. And if you look at that study, it was done with, you know, folks who had access to Kaiser's insurance. And so they were um, predominantly white middle class folks. Um, and we also know that marginalized communities uh, have a lot more obstacles to kind of mm-hmm. overcome, um, including access to healthcare at all. So we're also disregarding like systemic pressures, um, increased poverty, social economic standing is known to have impacts on, you know, traumatic experiences and uh, just like continual low level micro traumas. And so if we also kind of peel back the layers uh, the study was important and showed something like one in 12 kids scored like a three or more. And that was correlated with, you know, higher chances of all these kind of negative side effects we saw. And what was the scale? You say three or more. Was it like a one to 10 yeah, scale? scale? Okay. Um, yeah. So getting, you know, three or four out of 10 was correlated with pretty high risks, a lot more than folks who scored one or zero. And I think it was something like one in four had at least one, something pretty yeah. remarkable like that, where even a quarter of the kids we would kind of consider to be the most well-protected by their environment still face some sort of mm. traumatic experience. So if we pull back all the layers yeah. and try and apply it much more broadly to the type of folks that we end up being able to work with, um, there's a lot more chances that every kid or almost every kid that you know you or I encounter have something that still kind of absolutely yeah. yeah and listeners if you are interested in learning more about the ACES study we will put a reliable yeah. resource available on the episode notes that go with this episode specifically mm-hmm. um, I feel free to check it out we talked a couple days with V about social justice and music therapy and talked yeah. a lot about ableism and I think as you look more into the ACES study you'll find ways that the study is helpful to launch Mm -hmm. the trauma-informed movement, but also incorporates a a lot of dismissive and erasure behavior for marginalized identities. Yeah. 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 That's unfortunate, but but we're glad to have trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so we spent a lot of time talking about trauma, trauma trauma-informed care, what that looks like. What are the impacts of a non-trauma-informed approach. I know you said you don't practice yeah. that way, but are you aware yeah, I've seen, of I've seen what things. those impacts might um, be? Yes. So, yeah, if we're disregarding some of the longer-standing effects of trauma, they can other treatments that, you know, disregard that or don't take this into account can actually end up being pretty harmful. I'm thinking of, like, when there are really severe or harsh consequences provided to, like, not following a certain instruction usually people's or kids not usually always people's behaviors are geared towards getting them the things that they need to survive and so if we start counteracting those without doing the deeper work people are just going to find new and more potentially problematic ways of finding those needs because they haven't learned that it's okay to adapt to the current safe situation they're still worried about you know, am I going to sleep here? Like, they're still worried about much broader pictures than I'm thinking very specifically of like school examples. Cause sure. that's where I've been mostly. Absolutely. Um, it's like knowing kids who like worry about where they're going to be sleeping or eating that night. They're not going to be able to focus on the math problem you're having them work on. And so if you, you know, get mad at them and judge them and give them some sort of harsh consequence for not doing the math homework or not doing this certain problem the way you told them to or not following instructions right away 
then it's going to help kind of like continue this like punishment cycle and teach the kid that they aren't smart or aren't you know worth helping out they aren't lovable they're going to be alone mm. and just com- just co- compound upon things that they've already experienced and learned from adults in their life um who have taken advantage or completely ignored them yeah um so just thinking of a kid who's like not sure where they're going to sleep because their parents are too busy you know because they're involved with drugs or in prison or just aren't a multitude there. of circumstances yeah. that makes Have them absent. passed away yeah like, there are so many different things yeah and then we're telling them again like hey you didn't do this math problem or you didn't sit down this right way go be alone go sit in time out or i've seen a, a quiet room a qr place where kids if they get you know really kind of dysregulated end up getting kind of just shoved in there and left by themselves like it's just reinforcing that once you act a certain way you will be alone mm. um, and you aren't worthy of like that deeper care that's so, so sad yeah. those poor children <laughs> oh okay so if um i'm sure we have a wide variety of listeners listening uh different Hopefully. professions mm-hmm. different oh we do don't yeah, you worry okay. <laughs> um what sort of resources can you offer what do what have you found to be really good resources for investigating this further for learning more what they can do yeah i would super duper recommend um a book called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. he just happens to have it right next to him okay i'm not sure i got the name right it's a very important name Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, How do you spell that? B-E-S-S-E-L space V-A-N space D-E-R space K-O-L-K. I read during internship and it really changed a lot for me and I've been rereading it recently and it's mm. been a great eye reopener just to continue to remind myself what all the things are going on. It breaks down like the neurobiology of it, the like physiology of it, um, the mental parts, some history things, some histories and how it's like been neglected by the mainstream um including like the apa and um the dsm and how there's a lot of problems with the current system of diagnosis as opposed to looking at people's histories Mm. um and then another good resource would be there's a podcast called the trauma therapist okay Um, do you know who that's by maybe guy mcpherson i think i was gonna look it up We'll have the link. We'll make a link available. If you would like to look at these resources, the website is S as in Sam, C as in cat, musicproject.org. Go to the podcast page and you can find uh, notes for this episode, resources, and we also make available a transcript of every podcast episode. So if you are hard of hearing or part of the deaf community, you are also welcome to read and join with us in these conversations about music therapy, different philosophies, concepts, and what it means to be a music therapist in the 21st century. Thank you so much for talking to us about trauma-informed care. Colby's going to be back next week um, with V to talk about music in the brain. We're doing a two-part series talking about the um, theoretics of what's happening in the brain and then talking the next part will be about the actual applications and how a music therapist applies that information to their work. If you would like to know more about the Snohomish County Music Project, you can follow us on social media. Um, we're on all platforms at SC Music Project. Um, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.